And so I think when we are talking about journey mapping, we make the mistake sometimes in this industry of selling a journey map. And that's not really what we should be selling. We should be selling the idea of understanding the journey and acting on it so that you are constantly improving things. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Hampton, England. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week, I'm talking with Jeannie Walters. Jeannie's an award-winning customer experience expert, she's an international keynote speaker, and she's the founder of Experience Investigators, a firm helping companies increase sales and customer retention through elevated customer experiences. From the importance of creating and instilling a customer experience mission to approaching your customer journey map as a verb, not a noun, Jeannie and I discussed the right ways to help you and your team demystify the process for improving your customer experience. So here it is. Here's my interview with Jeannie Walters. Hi, Jeannie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, I'm excited to finally be able to talk to you and have you on the show here. But before we even get into the questions, like one thing I want to look at, you know, is something that you have positioned around yourself, positioned around your business, your mission to create fewer ruined days for customers. I love that. But can you explain that to me? Sure. Yeah, I you know, I I want to say like I was super intentional about it, but it really came from a conversation with a friend when I was first starting this business in 2009. Oh. And she said, you know, of all the things in the world, why are you so passionate about customer experience? And I thought that was such an interesting question and it really got me thinking about it. And what I really think we all do in this space is we make things a little easier, a little better. We help people achieve goals and we help people get about their day. And the more that we can do that by taking away those obstacles, by taking away the pain and the negativity that can happen, then they carry more positivity out to the world. And so we really do create a better world. I really believe this. And so by creating fewer ruined days for customers, we're allowing them to be better people and treat one another in the world better. So that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why that's my mission. I love that. And then when you think about it that way, you're right. When someone's day is not ruined, when you help deliver a better day to somebody else, then that puts them in a position to most likely spread positivity, spread positive experiences to the other people they interact with. Yep. And the opposite is true too, right? So yes, if we create a bunch of negative moments, they carry that with them out into the world. And then they bring that to the next interaction they have in the next person and they bring that home to their family. So I I think if we can make everything just a little bit better, a little bit easier, it really is creating something much bigger than ourselves. Well, and then, and that actually brings me to something that uh, kind of hit me it hit me last night and I talked about it this morning with one of our mutual friends with Nate Brown. Mm-hmm. Hi, Nate. Um, hey, Nate. <laughs> you know, I love interacting and talking with people in the customer experience and the CX space because I think with the focus that we have, I mean, mo- 
most people, most people in the CX space have that same view as you. They want to create more positive days for, for customers and for employees and for other people and less ruined days. And so because of that, I think customer experience thought leaders and practitioners are some of the nicest people that I know. I I love that. Yeah. And I think it's also a very collaborative space. I mean, yeah. I often will say, you know, there's no one perfect way to do this. And if somebody tells you they have the perfect formula, then they've only done that once somewhere. Right. Like, but every single organization is different. Every single situation is different. So I love how we have a community of people who care so passionately about this and are willing to share like, this is what worked for me. This is what you could try. I think that's really important to delivering on these great experiences as well. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, no matter what experience you're delivering and when you look at delivering an experience that either makes somebody's day better or helps them not ruin their day, I think a lot of that comes down to that person's, that customer's expectations. So what do you think customers are expecting from brands today? Well, you're absolutely right that it all comes down to expectations. And, you know, the formula I like is it's really perception minus expectation divided by motion or multiplied by motion, because it's really if I'm expecting you to be fast and you're not fast, then I'm disappointed. It's really that simple. Whatever my expectation is, whatever actually happens in the world, that determines if I'm happy or if I'm disappointed. So. When we talk about understanding expectations, there are two sides to that coin. And sometimes I think in customer experience work, we talk so much about the customer that we forget that we're in business. (laughs) And our leaders need us to talk about the business. So of course, we need to understand both, you know, what are the customers expecting and what have we promised them? What are the expectations that we promised them? How have we shown up? And are we showing up in the right way for the customer? So today, well, number one thing that I have been really intrigued by is that during the whole shutdown and pandemic era, one of the things that came out of that was that a lot of us realized we like time to ourselves. We actually want more time to ourselves globally. We are prioritizing time to ourselves and self-care in a way that we hadn't before. Right. And what that tells you about delivering for customers is the journey that you provide them now, we have to think about where is there something that they're going to judge as a time deficit to time for themselves. So if we make them go into a store when they could have done something on a mobile app somewhere else, they're going to see that as a deficit to that time to themselves. So that's one thing is really looking at that. And then the other thing is, choice. We all learned like it drives me crazy when people are like, well, we're in charge of digital customer experiences. Well, what is that exactly? Because there aren't yeah. digital customers. There are just customers who use a channel because it's most convenient in that moment for them. Right. So, I think understanding that customers want options and choices based on how to interact not all the time, but when it works for them. And we have to make sure that we're living up to those expectations as well. Oh, yeah. And then at at the same time, too, um, we think some I think we'll hear, you know, customers want choices. And so it's a great, you know what, 
let's give them choices. Let's give them so many choices, all the choices you could ever imagine. That's what they want, right? I don't think so. I think there's got to be that happy medium, like that perfect, that sweet spot. Because if you give a customer too many choices, whether it's choices in how to interact or how to communicate, or even choices across you know, product options, then you make that customer spend more time than they want to be spending trying to figure out, well, geez, like what choice right. do I want to do here? Yeah. And that's why understanding their journey is so important because there are times in the journey where they are going to want different options to for how to connect, how to communicate, as well as, you know, that's why we love personalized product suggestions, right? We make that purchase and then they say, hey, you know what? When you buy this dress, we recommend these shoes. We love that because it actually helps us make choices. So when I talk about choice, I'm really talking about making sure that you're not forcing me into a channel because it's convenient for you as the organization. Right. That there's some thought to that. There's some proactive intention about how do we match up the right communication channel with the right part of the journey? How do we make those personalized suggestions to limit that overwhelm of choice? And just being very thoughtful about that overall journey for the customer. So you talk about journey and I, I, I don't think enough people like really understand how to go about designing and managing a customer journey. And a lot of times, you know, we'll see leaders when they create and craft vision statements or purpose statements or value statements. And too many times the leader will do all the work to craft it. They'll print it out. They'll frame it up. They'll put it on the wall and then nobody does anything with it. But there it is on the yep. wall. Now, I think I'm seeing that too often with customer journeys and customer journey mapping. You'll have teams that will do all this work to map out the customer journey. They'll print it out. They'll put it on the wall, maybe frame yep. it. And that's it. It's a piece of art. Yeah, it's not It's not a tool. That's why we, we like to say it's journey mapping as a verb, not a noun. Right. It's really not about the map. It's not about the deliverable. You can make that as beautiful as you want. But I actually am a believer that if you teach people the skill of how to really understand the journey and how to flip the script and look at things from that customer's perspective, then you start seeing the action. You start seeing the results because it's really, it's about driving action. It's not about putting something up on the wall that everybody walks by every day and says, yeah, that's our journey. Because the journey is changing minute by minute as well. Like we cannot oversell how fast the world is moving and customers' expe expectations are changing so fast right now that if you have a journey map from six months or 18 months ago, I mean, you you might as well call it a relic. Yeah. And so I think when we are talking about journey mapping, we make the mistake sometimes in this industry of selling a journey map. And that's not really what we should be selling. We should be selling the idea of understanding the journey and acting on it so that you are constantly improving things. I just wrote about how, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of flying. And whenever I land in a new airport, and I go to order a ride share, it says, what terminal? Well, when you land, they don't tell you what terminal you're in. There are yeah. no signs. You're, you're yeah. just, I, you're in outer space, right? Like you as the customer. 
They've never had to tell us before because we would just wander to the taxi stand wherever they told us to go. But now, like that's that shows how easy it is to not really understand the customer's journey and so not be able to deliver for them where they need you. And it's just something that every organization, we need to constantly flip the script because I see a lot of organizations with plenty of process mapping or what I call journey map by org chart, (laughs) where they say like, this is what marketing does. This is what sales does. This is, but they never actually think about the customer. They never actually walk through that journey themselves. And that's the power of journey mapping as a verb, not journey map as a noun. And so to hear it that way, it also sounds like you shouldn't spend you shouldn't spend too much time trying to detail the customer journey map. It's trying to understand like what are those big things, what is the overall template for it, and then how do you stay on top of it constantly because it should be constantly evolving. It should be, but I'm I'm not going to say don't go into the details and don't spend time on it because sometimes that's okay. very valuable. But you always have to start with a goal. You have to understand why are you journey mapping in the first place. And if you say, well, it's to understand the journey, I would ask again, why? Do you have resources? Do you have a plan? Are you trying to come up with a strategy? What are you actually trying to do? Because then that will help you understand and dictate how high level versus how detailed do you want to be. We use a technique we call micro micro mapping, which is where in, you know, if you know you have like a sticky point in the journey. Instead of spending a lot of time on a big, huge journey map that is really just telling you what you already know, you actually drill down and really understand that customer's real life. Because too often we act like customers are marching through the journey because that's what they want to do. And I'm sorry, but our customers don't wake up wanting to deal with us. They no. really don't. No. They have a goal they're trying to achieve. They're, they're trying to do something. So if we can think about, okay, if they have to call customer service because their their delivery is missing a part, where are they starting from? They're not starting from, oh, boy, I get to call customer service? Woo-hoo! Right? And then when they call and they realize that the only number on the website is actually for sales, and so they have to be transferred, and then they have to be transferred to the parts department, and then they have to schedule a delivery... And then all of these things happen on a regular journey map that might just say, call customer service. But if you dig in like that, if you really get into the weeds, that's where you start realizing, oh my gosh, we could make this so much easier by simply having the service number printed on the delivery box or something like that. So I think that's how we have to think too, is what is the goal? What is the actual scope of the journey? Why are we doing this? And then use tools like micromapping to really get into making the change that we want to see. Well, and I got to think because, I mean, I've, I'm probably guilty of this myself, but I've seen others that are guilty of this too. When going through the process of mapping out the customer journey and even going into those micro moments, a lot mm-hmm. of times we use our own knowledge of the experience. We use our own uh uh, our own assumptions. And we're not necessarily looking at it from that customer's point of view because we're coming at it with, well, you know, we know that the customer service number is this. So you just call that right. number right there. Um, so how do you make sure that you're able to take off those blinders? How do you make sure that you're able to look at the customer journey map 
not just from your own perspective and your own assumptions? Well, I mean, there are lots of great ways to do this. Number one is I'm a big believer in this whole idea of journey orchestration, right? Making sure that we are pulling in data from the right places. We have so much data now that we can see what our customers are doing. We can understand what they've told us. We can actually incorporate that into the journey mapping process, and we absolutely should. And then we should also be co-creating or at least validating with customers. So as you put things together, you want to bring them into that mapping process so that we don't make those assumptions. Sometimes we don't have the, it's not feasible to bring customers, you know, physically in, but there are so many ways to do it. And sometimes it's as simple as making sure that we are looking at if we have feedback, if we have uh, recordings from contact center calls, all of those things, chat logs, all of those things will tell us a lot because when customers are filling out a survey, that's a different emotional experience than when they're talking to somebody yeah. or when they're chatting and they're in the moment. So we need to make sure that we're looking in the moment as well as what they tell us through feedback after. And so there are a lot of different tools that you can do to kind of orchestrate the whole journey that way. And then again, I would go back to what are we trying to do here, folks? Because if we are trying to, uh, if we know about a problem, and I've seen this happen, we know about a problem and they say, well, we need to do a journey map. Great. We do a journey map. We all say that's a problem. And they say, well, we need to validate that with customers. So we're going to send out a bunch of surveys. Now, I'm sorry, if you're in the room and you all agree that's a terrible way to treat a customer, then that's enough agreement. Like, I, I don't think we need. I think sometimes we get so data obsessed that we actually paralyze ourselves and we don't take action that we know we need to take. Anecdotal data is still data. And when we are looking at stories from customers, that is still data. So if you know something is happening that you want to fix and journey mapping will help you fix that, there is nothing stopping you from going forth and fixing it. I get it. I understand, especially the higher up you get in the organization. And when you Absolutely. get to the the senior executive and the C-suite level, they, they, they want to see the data. They want to see the data mm-hmm. around it. Um, I would hope to be part of a culture that allows me to be bold enough to say, when someone says, well, let's throw a survey out to the customers, I, would be, I, ho- I hope I could be bold enough to say, well, before we send a survey out, yeah. can you walk through that experience yourself? Yep. Or, you know what, let's do a pilot. Let's do an A-B test. Like there are so many ways that we can do this without wasting six months trying to get data that we already know. And I think that's the part because I, I, I love data. Like I think it's so important and we have so much of it now. But I feel like there was a time period where people only thought data worked if it was, you know, uh, quantitatively, statistically significant And if it was something that we believed, that wasn't enough. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about when we talk about expectations, you have to know what your promises are. So a very simple gut check is, is this living up to our promise to our customers? And if not, that's enough data. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And then, and a lot of times when it comes to your promises and making those promises, I see people making the mistake of, crafting and saying like, this is our new promise to our customers without even confirming with everyone else in the organizations, is Mm -hmm. this promise operationally feasible? Can we actually live up to the promise? Yeah. 
Yeah, we do. We do a lot of work around uh, customer experience mission statements. That's something we have tools on and everything. And the reason we started creating that in the first place was because we saw all these organizations that said, well, we want to be the best as their goal. Well, that's cool. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, we're going to be the friendliest. We're going to, you know, and all these things. So one of the the ways that we craft that mission statement is saying, first of all, this isn't about the greatest or anything of, you know, avoid superlatives like that. Decide who you will be no matter what, no matter what. And that means that sometimes you have to make trade-offs. You have to understand that you can't always be the most accurate and the fastest. So what are we going to be? And so thinking through those questions can really help people understand this is who we are, no matter what. This is the promise that we've made. And this is a good benchmark to know if we're living up to that or not. And that is a very powerful tool then because you can get everybody else on board saying, I understand how I fit into this. But it's, it's, a, it's a big cultural shift in most places. Well, it is. And once you have it, once you do have it in place, I think that it can act as a good filter for mm-hmm. any sort of actions or decisions that you're wanting to make. You know, if you're saying, well, what about adding this new service or this new feature mm-hmm. this benefit? Or what about this uh, this new campaign or this new PR approach you want to take? Well, let's throw it up against this CX mission. And it can help you hire. It can help you train. It can help you do all those things. Because honestly, what I see a lot, and this is especially true in contact centers, but in in other places as well, we basically say, um, all right, Matt, you're, we want you to be super friendly. And then they say that, you know, okay, Jeannie, you're going to be super friendly. Well, you and I might have slightly different versions of those. That's not meaning either one is wrong, but we're, we're asked to make judgment calls based on our life experience, based on our individual beliefs, all those things. And they might be different and they might be inconsistent. And so by having that CX mission statement, what you say is, this is how all of us are expected to make those judgment calls, to ask. If we've committed to be the most accurate, then we know it's okay to say to somebody, I'm going to get back to you when I have better information. Here's what I'm going to do. And we we understand those judgment calls and you and I will behave in a similar way because we both understand that central mission. And I think that helps, hopefully, that helps the employees feel a bit more empowered. Absolutely. Oh, you know what? I don't have to try and figure out what it means for me to do this in my role. It's it's essentially mm-hmm. outlined right here. Here are the guidelines mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. And there it's a great tool for coaching too. Because then if you if something happens, yeah. the manager can say, you know what, I know it sounds like you did this. Do you think that fits with our mission? Or is there a better way to live up to the mission or all of those things? So that it really is something we want people to internalize and kind of tuck into their heart. And one of the mistakes that we see is that corporate mission statements often have like 18 bullet points. And if you make it like nobody can internalize that. So the idea of this is to keep it very succinct, very focused. And it's a North Star. It's not really about your products or services at all. It's about who are we and how are we benefiting our customers in their lives? Not just with, you know, we're selling the best widget, 
what does the widget do for them? Right. Does it, you know, help them have a better business? Does it help them do something in an easier way? Whatever that is. IKEA, their corporate mission is about making everyday lives better. It's not about furniture, right? And Allen wrenches. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think we have to look at that and say, yeah, exactly. But you can see how all that kind of fits in, right? So that's kind of the idea is that we we want to get to a place where everybody really understands this. And so they make better decisions in their everyday work. There you go. Yeah, and thank, thankfully, thankfully, I'm starting to see more and more brands take this type of approach with their their mission statements, their their mm-hmm. brand promise, their their CX missions, what have you, um, and and doing away with putting the primary uh, person in that mission statement be their stakeholders or their right. their shareholders. Yep, yep. That's not. That's not what this mission should be about. Oh, no, it's about the customer. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the employee side of this. How mm-hmm. does customer experience have a role in retaining and having engaged employees? I mean, it's they're so hand in hand. You can't even separate them, right? I I always think of this as first of all, nobody wants to work at a place where customers are always complaining. Number one, full stop. Yeah. So if you are creating a great customer experience, you are most likely going to have happier employees. That's number one. Number two is in order to live up to this mission that we just talked about, that's not just about the experience you're delivering to your customers. That's about showing up for each other, for your peers, for your colleagues, everyone else in the same way. So if we promise an easier experience for our customers. If we promise to be responsive, we have to know that that's how we show up for one another as well. Because when those things are aligned, when people feel like this is who we are, it makes everything else easier. And employees are happier. They are more willing to go the extra mile, not just for customers, but for one another. They are more likely to refer candidates and referred employees actually get hired faster They stay longer and they are more likely to succeed. So all of the benefits that we talk about with customers, like retention and word of mouth referrals and all of those things, the same thing applies when you create a great employee experience. And if those two things are well aligned, then everybody feels better about their job, better about the position they're in and better about the company that they work for. Now that, that makes total sense. And Gosh, I want to say it was it was probably like the the latter half of my corporate career, you know, started taking the approach of defining every one that I interacted with was a customer to me. Mm-hmm. They they were mm-hmm. my customer. Yes, there was the end customer, but even um, you know, but my my teammates, the, my my peers, they were right. my customers. The management chain that I reported to, those were my customers. Anyone that reported to me was a customer. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, teams in other operating companies, other functional areas, those were customers. And then even agencies and vendors that we paid, even though we were a customer, I still treated them like they were my customer. And I think that's, so I I would challenge that a little bit. And here's why. Okay. I, I think we need to make sure that we are defining who the customer is in the right way. And the reason I say that is because sometimes 
especially in B2B distribution models, they say, well, we've got our distributors over here. We've got this, we've got this. And they kind of don't ever get to that end customer, right? They, they, okay. And so, uh, but at the same time, I totally agree with the philosophy that you just shared, because when I talk about, you know, when we make this promise in the mission statement and we show up for one another, that's exactly what I'm talking about is saying, this is the promise we made, not just to our customers, but to our partners, to our suppliers, to my manager, to all of these people, this is how we show up. And by doing that, by being really clear about it, then it's also an easier conversation when you don't have that happen. Because if we don't have that same philosophy inside the organization, it's hard to say like, well, Matt, you know, you didn't get back to me and I I thought you would have gotten back to me by now. And you could just say, well, I'm busy. I've got other stuff. I was dealing with customers, right? Because we're colleagues. Yeah. So maybe that wasn't part of it. And so by being really clear and articulate about this is who we are no matter what, then you and I could have that conversation and I could say, you know, Matt, I thought we were, we promised to be responsive within 48 hours, right? right? And then it's, and then it's just an honest conversation. It's not confrontational. It's not somebody's opinion. It's just like, Hey, this is what we agreed to. And you can say, yeah, you know, okay, this time I let you down. I totally get it. I'm, I'll do it next time. I'm not picking on you. (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) but I think the whole idea of making those moments that don't go great, a little easier to deal with, well, you know, levels the playing ground in a, in a better way as well. It's kind of, it's a little bit of the Brene Brown, like rumble philosophy, right? Right. Like there are times that you're going to have to have hard conversations. There are times you're going to let customers down. That's just going to happen. So what can we do to make sure we're being as proactive as possible so that we have enough positivity in the relationship? We have enough trust. We all know the same rules and we all know what the promise is that we can have those hard conversations in healthier ways. Okay. That makes total sense. And again, like it all just comes down to helping remember like what the, what, what those perceptions and expectations are. Right. And then knowing how you can deliver on those and then what to do when you don't. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Well said. Well, uh, Real quickly, before we go, I do want to talk about your new podcast, your new podcast, Experience Action. How is this different from your previous podcast? What can Mm -hmm. listeners get from it? Well, my previous podcast was with Adam Taporek, Crack the Customer Code. We were out there for 500 episodes. We had a great time. Adam's still a very good friend, and we had a great time doing that. So I just want to give a shout out there. But the... This one is different because what I realized was a lot of times in customer experience kind of talk, it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of ideas. And the leaders that I am talking to all the time, they are really struggling with like, how do we do this? How do we put this into action? How do we get our bosses to care? How do we do all of these different things? And so what I decided to do was take those questions literally in kind of real time and say, leave me a voicemail. And I will answer your question. So it's one question, one answer. Every podcast we've answered from uh, people all over the world. We've had people call in from Africa and Europe and Asia and everywhere, Latin America. And so we're getting some really fascinating questions too that I didn't expect. One of one of the ones I got recently was, 
you know, in this field, I've taken the, I've read everything, I've got my certifications, and I still kind of feel like an imposter. What do I do about imposter syndrome? Like, I would have never thought that that's a question somebody would ask, but it was such a fascinating thing to unpack. So I really encourage people to leave me these voicemails. They're short little episodes. We have a lot of fun. And I I like to think of it as like an old time radio talk, you know, call in show where you would call in like, like Frasier. If for those of you who remember that show, <laughs> long time listener, first time caller. That's right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, lo- I, I love it. I love that format. I love that it's just one question per episode. It makes it, well, it makes it simple for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're both on brand there, Matt. Right. <laughs> well, Jeannie, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for Experience mm-hmm. Action, what songs would you choose? So this is uh, very eclectic, I'm going to tell you that. But, you know, the name of my company, first of all, is Experience Investigators, and our framework and everything right. is CXI, and that's Customer Experience Investigation. So I think Private Eyes by uh, Hall & Oates oh, yeah. would be a good one. Because really, when when we talk about that, it's it's about figuring out what's really going on for the customer. Uh, the <laughs> this one might be a little controversial, but uh, the title is really what drew me to this one. Not necessarily the whole song. I'm going to say that just okay. as a little asterisk. Um, Alanis Morissette, "You Ought to Know." Oh, like, yeah. Like, come on, you ought to know yeah. what's going on should, with me. You, you should know, know all these things. Just skip some of the verses in between, but. Uh, <laughs> uh and then for um in honor of the experience action format let's say uh call me by blondie that's a nice one uh and then because in that format i'm also encouraging people to take action not just talk about it we're gonna throw in a little rupaul with you better work oh yeah (laughs) and then i think we wrap up with easy like sunday morning because we want everything to be easy and and lovely and delightful, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, like like we were saying, you know, when when you make it easy for the customer, it makes it easy for you, and then likely the customer goes on to make it easy for everybody else. There you go. Perfectly Love summarized. It. Hooray! <laughs> well, Jeannie, I I always learn so much from you. But where can people go to learn more from you? Well, thank you so much, first of all. Uh, Yeah, you can find me at experienceinvestigators.com. I'm all over LinkedIn. I have several LinkedIn learning courses there. And then if you want to ask me a question, check out Experience Action, uh, the podcast. The voicemail link is speakpipe.com slash experience action. And I would love your questions. Excellent. Well, I will will include a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, Jeannie... Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your time today. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for all you do, Matt. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jeannie Walters. You can go and learn more from her at experienceinvestigators.com. You'll find lots of resources to help your team level up your customer experience work. And be sure and check out Jeannie's podcast, Experience Action. Each episode focuses on answering customer experience-related questions from professionals just like you. And if you'd like to have Jeannie answer your question in an upcoming episode, then go ask her at speakpipe.com slash experience action. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, 
go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Heather Younger. Heather's an international keynote speaker, and she's the founder and CEO of Employee Fanatics, a leading employee engagement firm. She's the host of the Leadership with Heart podcast, and she's the author of three best-selling leadership and employee engagement books, including her latest, The Art of Active Listening, How People at Work Feel Heard, Valued, and Understood. And if you've been listening to me for a while, then you know that one of the steps for empathizing with your customers and your employees is the process of actively listening to them. The problem is, most of us think we're doing a good job of actively listening, but we're not. There's some key steps that most of us leave out. Now, thankfully, Heather has a framework that helps ensure that you include these steps every single time. And when you do active listening right, it'll make the difference between assuming what your people want and actually knowing what they want. And that's all the difference in the world. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Heather's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple.